celebrating. You know, the events on Calvary was God's way of reaching down to humanity and saying this. Watch, this is what this is what Easter is really about. Easter is really about God saying to every person in here, I still choose you. I choose you. That's what Easter is really about. It's the mercy of God. Instead of giving us what we deserve, he reaches down and shows us mercy and says, I still choose you. You know what it says to Satan? It says to Satan, hell can't have them. I got them. Come on, somebody needs to be excited about that because you was headed straight that way. I know I was. And (laughs) thank God he reached down. Amen. The cross and the, and the whole event of Easter, we, we now call it Easter, but at the time they had no title. It was just a moment. It was a, it was a time. But at, if you think about Friday when they brought Jesus to the cross and they crucified him, it had to be tragic. For all those that knew Jesus and even those that were just innocent bystanders, they had to feel some kind of a tragedy. You know how it is when you watch something on the news, like something happens in another country or somebody does something here in our country, and it's just a total injustice, and you feel this heaviness like a tragedy? That's what Friday felt like the first Friday. All of his followers, all the people that knew him, that on Friday they watched him go to the cross and die on the cross, and then get put in a grave, and it felt like tragedy. And it felt like a finale, like it was over. Now that Jesus has risen from the grave, it no longer feels like a tragedy, right? We now celebrate it. We call it Good Friday. And it's not just a good excuse to get with your family and eat a bunch of crawfish. It's actually a Good Friday to celebrate that Jesus went to the cross, but it wasn't a finale. It was actually just an an incident. It was just a moment in time where something was going to happen. And so for all of us, when we think about death, sometimes we're scared. Sometimes we think that death is a finale. Death is the end of the story. Close the book. It's over with. And some of you here this morning, you're scared to death of death. Can I say that? You're scared to death of dying. And my question to you this morning is why? Why are you scared to die? Is it because you don't know what the next step is for you? Is it because you don't know what your eternal destination is? But you see, the reality is, is that when you give your life to Jesus and you surrender to his lordship, you're no longer afraid of death. In fact, you look death in the face and you say, come on, baby, because I'm, I'm getting an upgrade, right? I'm, I'm moving on up, George and Wheezy. Come on, somebody. I'm getting up out of here and I'm going to a place with no humidity, no mosquitoes. I'm preaching now. Come, No calories in the bluebell. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> you see, here's the deal. If you can't believe in the resurrection, then you can't believe in the rapture. 
You see, you've got to understand that you have to believe in the resurrection. You have to believe that Jesus came out of the grave. Not only did he go to the cross, not only did he die, and when he was buried, but he came out and he was resurrected. If you can't believe that Jesus raised from the grave, then you can't believe in the rapture. Some of you may say, well, pastor, what is the rapture? Let me explain. The rapture is the day that Jesus is going to come back. The Bible says that Jesus will come back again for his people. That, that's the day we get the heck out of here. Come on. Look at me. Look with me in, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. This is what the Bible says about it. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Come on, this is good news right here because that means that everybody who was a believer and they died before Jesus came back, they're just asleep. Come on, when Jesus comes back and it's going to be a loud thing, when he comes back, the Bible says that those who are dead in Christ, those who were Christians and they've died, they're going to rise from their graves and then Jesus is going to come back and he's going to gather us all up and he's going to say, come on, let's get out of here. I got a new place for you. That's good news, right? We don't need to be afraid of death. We don't need to be afraid of the grave because it's not our finale. Right? It's not our finale. If you can't believe in the resurrection, you can't believe in the rapture. When when we look at death, death is really the separation of the soul from the body. That's what death is. It's when the soul leaves the body. In Revelation chapter 20, it talks about two deaths. Some of you may have never heard that before, but in Revelations, it talks about two deaths. It says that those who have not given their life to Jesus or were not born again are going to face two deaths. The first death is going to be the death where the soul separates from the body. That's your natural death. But then the second death is going to be when you're separated from God. Two deaths. That's what it says in Revelations. So here's the key. If you've only been born once, you're going to die twice. But if you've been born twice, you're only going to die once. Let me me explain this a little bit. If you've only been born once, if you've only experienced a natural birth and you were never born again, as the Bible says, then you're going to experience two deaths. The first one from the soul, when the, the soul leaves the body. And then the second one is going to be the separation from God. That's what Revelation says. But here's the deal. If you've been born twice, you're only going to die once. Come on, somebody. That means you experienced a natural birth. And then you had an experience with Jesus where you surrendered to his lordship. And you laid your life down in front of him. You said, I need you to run my life. I believe what you did on the cross. I believe what you did in the grave. I believe how you came out of the grave. And because of that, I've been born again. I'm only going to die once. And then watch this. I get to spend eternity with God. been born once you're going to die twice been born twice you're going to die once you know that only happens because of what jesus did on the cross in the grave you can only be born again because of this day that we celebrate today you see jesus got up he got out and jesus wants to get into your life today you see when he was in the grave he got up and then he got out 
And now that he's out, he wants to come and get inside of you today. And he wants to give you life, life abundantly. He wants to take you from spiritual death into spiritual life. Listen to me. Some of you need some life on the inside of you. There's nothing like surrendering your life to Jesus and him coming living on the inside of you. That life changes and it looks different and people start to like you a little bit. Right? He got up, he got out and he, he wants to get in you. You see, here's the thing that Jesus got up and he got out. And when we accept him as Lord and Savior, his spirit comes to live inside of us. That's what the Bible says. That the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. He's what gives us life. We don't have to be afraid of death. Because what Jesus did is he exhausted sin's power over us. He defeated the fear of death. And he gave us courage to face anything this world would throw at us. We don't have to be afraid of anything. You don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of the grave. You don't have to be afraid of addiction. You don't have to be afraid of abuse. You don't have to be afraid of anything because Jesus died on the cross. And because he died on the cross and was raised again, you can be raised again. You don't need to be afraid. (laughs) You see, that's what salvation really is. Jesus already got up. And he already got out. He's not there anymore. The Bible says he's sitting at the right hand of the father today. And I can imagine he's sitting there going, man, man, today's my day. They're celebrating me today. Ain't just Christmas. Come on, somebody. He's sitting at the right hand of the father. And because of what he did, because he got up and he got out, when we receive him as Lord and Savior, He wants to come live inside of us. That's what salvation is. It's going from spiritual death into spiritual life. It's called being born again. It's no great mystery. It's just being born again. One guy asked Jesus, he said, how can I, surely I can't go back into my mother's womb. Jesus was like, no, 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 bro. You're thinking a little too natural here. (laughs) You can't do that. (laughs) It's a spiritual birth, brother. But that only happens because of what Christ did on the cross. He says that nothing can separate you from my love. Nothing. You know, Jesus will be with you in this life and he'll walk with you into the next life. He promises that, that he will be with you. The Bible says that he's actually your friend. Can you wrap your head around that, that Jesus is your friend? He wants to get into some of you today. Today. So let me show you four things that Jesus did when he died and and rose from the grave. Number one, and they all start with R. He removed your transgressions. Number two, he remembered your sins no more. Number three, he releases you from your iniquities. And number four, he restores your health. Isn't that good news? So number one, it says that he removed your transgressions. What is transgressions? Transgression is not a word that we use normally today. If somebody came up to you at work and said, man, you're full of transgression, you'd be like, explain that to me before I hit you. (laughs) Right? 
So transgression is actually another word for sin. But in the Old Testament, there was two words for sin. The two words were transgression and iniquities. Transgressions were the outward actions of sin, but iniquity was the inward motivation of sin. So in the Old Testament, they believed that you were, when you were walking in sin or you were full of sin, it was because of two things, transgressions and iniquities. Transgressions happen on the outside. Iniquities happens on the inside. Follow me? You tracking with me? So there's two words for, for sin in the Old Testament, transgression and iniquity. Transgression is defined as trespassing or to cross over a known boundary. You see, when you sin and you've given your life to Jesus, you're crossing, you're trespassing, you're doing something that you're not supposed to be doing. You've crossed a known boundary that you're not supposed to cross. It's called transgression. It's when you go from thinking about it to doing it. How many of you have ever been there before? When you've thought about the sin and you've thought of it and you're like, oh, I can't do it. I can't. And you wrestle, right? Oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. Transgression is when you go from thinking about it to doing it. Sin starts in your heart. That's where iniquity lies. But transgression is in your hand. Iniquity is the attitude. Transgression is the action. You know, that's what religious people do. Religious people only look at you on the outside. They judge everything about you on the outside. And all they worry about is the outside. Whether or not you're smoking, whether or not you're drinking, whether or not you're cussing, whether or not you're dressing right, whether or not you got a little too much skin showing. That's what religious people do. They want to judge you and they want to determine your status with God according to the outside. That's why when Jesus came on the scene, he made them so upset. You remember the story of the woman that got caught in adultery? They drug her outside. She was caught in the act. They drug her outside, threw her in the middle of the street. And all these religious folks grabbed these stones and they were getting ready to judge her with stones that day. Because of what she did on the outside. Jesus walks up and he says, hold up, time out. Time out. Whichever one of you that's getting ready to cast that stone and you haven't sinned on the inside, go ahead and throw your stone. And they all had to walk away and they all dropped their stones and she didn't get judged that day because Jesus stepped in and said, stop looking at what's on the outside and start paying attention to what's on the inside. You see in this. You see, they were worried about the outside, about the transgression side of it. They weren't worried about the iniquities. Watch what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He said, it's not about whether or not you do it. It's about what you think about. And if you're lusting after her, then on the inside of yourself, you've already done it. You know what? That's why here at our Savior's Church, we want to get to know you. <laughs> I'm not just satisfied if you just show up for church. I mean, you, you can show up for church and never talk to nobody. That's fine with us. We'll let you hang out for a little while. But, but the reality is, is I want to get to know you. You want to know why? Because the only way I can truly shepherd you is when I get to know you. And we can start dealing with what's on the inside. 
You see, Jesus focuses on the inside. And when he gets the inside right, the outside has to line up. It has to line up. All scripture points to that. Because when you get the inside healthy, you start to understand how much God loves you. And then you start to hate the sin that you're living in. And nobody has to stand on the outside going, you need to quit this and you need to quit that and you need to quit that. Right? Jesus takes it even a step further when he talks about murder. In Matthew chapter 5, he says this, You have heard that our ancestors were told that you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But if, 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 you're, if you're even angry with someone, you're already subject to judgment. He says you didn't do it on the outside, but you did it in your heart. Are you seeing this? So some of us are very prideful about ourselves. Say, well, I don't do this and, and I don't do that. And, you know, I quit this and I quit that. And you get yourself all prim and proper and you, and you want to walk around and look all good on the outside. But Jesus is looking at the inside. Amen. Stop worrying about the outside. Get focused on the inside. There's nothing more beautiful than a person who is in love with Jesus with all their baggage. Got a trunk full of junk, but beautiful. Right? Jesus is very precise in what he does, right? Watch this in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. You're going to love this. It says this, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. There are those two words again. So watch the wording that the Bible uses here. It says that, but he was wounded for our transgression. A wound is an open cut or an opening of the skin where you bleed on the outside. So Jesus was bleeding on the outside for your transgressions, which represent the outside. It's the act of sin. So he bled on the outside for your sin that lives on the outside. That's good news. Then it says that he was bruised for your iniquities. Bruising is bleeding on the inside. You tracking with me this morning? Shake your head. I'll beat this point up for two hours if you let me. He said, I was, I was bruised for your iniquities. In other words, he bled on the inside for the sin that lives on the inside. So what does that mean, pastor? That means that Jesus on the cross cleansed you on the inside and the outside. Meshach, that's good news. On the inside and the outside. Man, you got to see this. He cleansed us on the inside and the outside. He cleansed you where your motivations are where your bend is, where your tendency is. He, he cleansed you there. That driving voice that, that just wrecks your life, the one that says, oh, you can do it again. Oh, you can go there again. You, one more time's not going to hurt. Or maybe it says to you, well, you've done so much already. Why quit now? We'll quit on Monday. Anybody ever hear that voice? 
I'm going to start my diet on Monday. I'm still waiting on Monday. He cleansed you from that. He removed our transgressions. Now notice, he's not going to do that one day. Jesus has already done it. (laughs) You got to get this. It's already been done. Over 2,000 years ago, when he got up and got out, it was done. It was already done. You know, the good thing about God is that he loves you so much, he'll go ahead, he, he, he already goes ahead and, and just does his part. He said, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to lay down my part right here. I'm going to show you how much I love you. Very few people do this for you. Very few people come up to you and say, I'm just going to go ahead and bless you. I mean, come on, how many people hire you to do something to say, I'm going to pay you your full contract before you start the job? Nobody. Jesus loves us. God loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for us. He gave us the best from the get-go. He didn't wait till we deserved it. He didn't wait till we completed our end of the deal. He said, I'm going to go ahead and give it to you first. Some of you can't understand that because you live like you got to deserve it. But listen to me. He's already given it to you. Quit trying to deserve it and just accept it. Because you see, the enemy wants wants to get you focused on a a far-fetched dream that one day, one day I'm going to get saved. One day I'll get born again. One day I'll get right with God. The only thing in the way is you. Amen? So number two, it says that he remembers your sins no more. Come on, this is real good news right here because some of you are like, man, I'm sure glad they erased the videotape of my life. Lord Jesus, when I get to heaven, whoo, they're not pulling up my records. Right? <laughs> some of you being all polite this morning, you're not laughing because you don't think anybody thinks that you got a bad history, but we all know better. Isaiah 43, 25 says this, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Hebrews 8, 12 says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Let me define remember for you. The the word remember means to recall or to bring back up for use. So watch this. God says, I'm going to remember your sin no more. In other words, I'm not going to recall your past. I'm not going to bring it up and use it against you. Come on, married folks. Don't shut me down when I'm preaching. You know how it is when you're married, right? Who knows your past better than anybody else? Your spouse does. Who can throw it in your face better than anybody else can? Your spouse can. The problem is, is women remember a whole lot more than men do. I don't know how that happened, but y'all got more memory cells than we did. And, and y'all just, anyway. But the Bible says that he's going to remember it no more. Listen to me. It's not that he forgot it. 
It's just that he chooses not to remember it anymore. He chooses not to bring it up against you. When you fall on your face, God's not the one telling you that you did this before. He's not the one telling you that you, oh, here you are again. He's not your daddy and he's not your mama. Come on, you know how parents are. We'll use some stuff against our kids, right? Well, back in, back in two years ago, uh, three days for your birthday, you did this. And you can't ever get away from your past, right? Your past haunts you. Some of you walked into church and your past is waiting in the parking lot for you. You might want to hang out a little bit longer just so you don't have to go hang out with your past. But the Bible says that God remembers our sin no more. He chooses not to remember. It's his choice. If we could only treat others like God treats us, right? I said, if we could only treat others like God treats us, right? If we could only treat our spouse like God treats us. If we could only treat our kids like God treats us. He refuses to bring it up again and to use it against you because of what Jesus did on the cross. You see, that's the good news. Jesus made that happen. Because here's the deal. When God looks at you now, you got to get this. When God looks at you, he sees you through the blood of Jesus. And when he sees you through the blood of Jesus, he sees your sin no more. It's because of Jesus' blood that when God looks at you, he no longer sees your sin. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for his blood. Can you believe that? Some of you here are wrestling with that right now. You're having a hard time believing that God can actually forgive what I've done. But pastor, you don't know my story. I've done this. It's a pattern in my life. It's a weakness in my life. It's something that I keep running to. I can't get away from it, pastor. I've tried everything. People have prayed for me. I've prayed for myself. God can't forgive me now. I've gone too far. Bull. That means that Jesus only died for so much of your sin. Last I checked, he went all the way to the cross. He didn't stop short and he didn't stop long enough for you to try and deserve it. He went all the way to the cross. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you'll trust him, he'll remember your sins no more and you can live in freedom. Number three says that he releases you from your iniquities. That has to do with being free, being set free. He releases you from your iniquities. You see, Jesus has the power to deliver us from our weaknesses, our bend, our tendencies. It's because of his blood and because of the resurrection that he stands over your weakness and he says to your weakness, I am stronger than that. I am more powerful than that. I have authority over that. If you'll trust me, I'll get you through that and you'll rise again. He, 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 he releases you from your iniquities. That's what he did when he hung on the cross. You remember when he said, it's finished? 
Jesus was on the cross and it was, it was coming to be that time. And, he, and the, the Bible says that the clouds came rushing in. It got dark in about three o'clock in the afternoon, it got dark. And then Jesus, the Bible says Jesus gave up his life. But before he did it, he said, it is finished. You know what he was talking about? He was talking about your weaknesses. He was talking about your sin. He was talking about the penalties that you deserve. It is finished. Amen. Number four, he restores your health. (laughs) And this is so good. He restores your health. At the end of Isaiah 53, 5, it says this, that by his stripes, you are healed. You see, the stripes that Jesus was given represent pain. Jesus was brought into a, a little Colosseum area and he was stripped of his clothes and laid over a stump. And they took this big old bad whip and they began to whip it across his back. And the Bible says that, that the law was that it was 39 lashes, 40 minus one, which means 40 represented death sentence. But they, so some people believe that Jesus got 39 lashes. Nobody really knows how many lashes he got. But let me tell you something. He got enough of them to understand your pain. Some, some people even preach a doctrine that, oh, Jesus had 39 lashes and it represents healing for all 39 diseases. Last time I checked, there's more than 39 diseases. So I don't necessarily believe that. But I do believe this, that when Jesus was being beaten, he understood pain. In fact, he understood every pain that we would ever walk through. So when the Bible says that by his stripes we're healed, that's not just from a disease. Healing comes in many different forms. It could be emotional healing. It could be relational healing. It could be physical healing. Mental healing. You see, by his stripes, we are healed. His stripes represent pain. He understands your pain. So because he took those stripes, he can heal your pain. He can restore your health. Come on, that. I'm preaching better than you responding. I'm just saying. (laughs) All of us have experienced some level of pain. Every person in this room has experienced pain at some level. Some of us way greater than the rest of us. But listen to me. Don't let the enemy come in here and make you feel sorry for yourself because you had a whole lot of pain in your life. It doesn't matter the level of pain. Jesus restores your health. By his stripes, you're healed. It's a done deal. He's already got the stripes. Means you already got the healing. These are the things that Jesus accomplished on the cross. These are the reasons we celebrate today. Look at what he's done for us. Transgression is gone. Iniquity is gone. He remembers your sin no more. He heals your body and brings you back to health. He heals your mind, your emotions, your relationships, and he brings them back to health. Man, is that incredible. Look at what the cross did. Isn't that awesome? But I want to talk to you this morning about how he got there. Because you see, there's something powerful about how Jesus got there. You're like, oh my God, was that just the introduction? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) 
How did Jesus get to the cross? I'm going to give you the answer before I explain. He chose to. He chose to go to the cross. You see, I've been reading in Mark chapter 14 this week and studying, and it was my quiet time. And the Lord led me to Mark chapter 14. And he said, I want you to read the resurrection from the uh, uh, account of Mark this year. I said, okay, I'm going to read it from the account of Mark. So I opened my Bible to Mark chapter 14, and I started in the garden. So Jesus knows that the time's coming. He's feeling the pressure. He's just had the Lord's Supper with all of his guys. He's telling them, I'm getting ready to go. You're getting ready to deny me. You're going to deny me three times, by the way. All this stuff's going on. And Jesus takes his guys and he says, he says let's go to the garden. Now, the garden was the place that Jesus usually went to meet with God by himself in most cases. This time he was so nervous that he goes with all of his guys, at least 12 disciples he brings to the garden. And then he stops and he says, I want you guys, I want you to sit here and pray and keep watching. Some translations and some, some other gospel books say that Jesus actually told them to bring their swords with them. What we get is a glimpse of Jesus' humanity. You got to remember Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. We get a glimpse of his humanity. He's nervous. He's anxious. He's, he's, he's scared. When you read the Bible, you got to see this. So watch this in verse 34. It says, he told them this. He said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He says, my soul is grieved all the way to the point of death. Stay here and watch. And Jesus leaves the three disciples that he brought a little further with him. And he goes off to a place by himself. And the Bible says that three times he went and he prayed and he knelt down before God and he asked God for something. It says this, that he asked God to take this cup of suffering away from him. Jesus is in the garden all by himself. He knows what's getting ready to happen. And he kneels before God and he says, will you just take this cup from me? I don't know if I can handle it. You can do anything. Would you just take this? I don't know if I can do this. Watch this. And then he says, but you know what? Whatever you want to do. Three times he does it. The Bible says in some, in some gospel accounts that he was even sweating blood. It was such an intense moment for Jesus. You see, what's crazy is that Jesus could have called an audible. Jesus could have said, time out. We'll do this next year. I'm not ready. He could have said, you know what? I'm going to wait another week. He could have called down thousands of angels to come and rescue him. He could have done anything that he wanted to do. Nobody made Jesus go to the cross but Jesus himself. Every time he got up from kneeling down and asking God to take this cup from him, he would say, you know what, but your will and not mine. You see, the problem with modern day Christianity is we want God to approve our will because we're too scared to prove his will. That's the problem with most Christians today is we want God to line up with what we want to do instead of saying, you know what, Lord, I'm going to go ahead and die to self and just whatever you want me to do. How did Jesus get to the cross? He chose to. He chose to. Nobody made him lay his life down. Nobody forced him. There wasn't a big enough army to get him to do it. He let them arrest him. He gave his life up. Jesus can relate to some of you today feeling afraid, feeling nervous, maybe a little apprehensive. Some of you are scared to walk away from the lifestyle that you know. 
Some of you are scared to walk away from your reputation. Some of you are scared to walk away from your status. Some of you are afraid to go all the way with Jesus. You're kind of like, ah, man, it's just scary. I don't know if I can commit all of my life to Jesus. I don't know if I can do that. Some of you are like that today. And listen to me, Jesus relates to what you're feeling. He's not looking down on you because you're struggling right now. He's actually saying to you, I know what it feels like. But let me tell you something. When you take the step, it leads to another step. And when you take that step, you end up at a cross. And on the other side of that cross is something that I can't even explain. But it's bigger, greater, and more beautiful than you could even imagine. Take the step. You'll never know what's on the other side until you you take the step. For some of you, it's taking that step and giving your life to Jesus today. Some of you, it's walking away from addiction and struggles. Some of you, it's saying to somebody that loves you, I need some help. For some of you, it's going to people that you've hurt or that have hurt you and saying, I forgive you. You never know what's on the other side. Jesus did. Jesus learned what's on the other side of the cross. He got to experience resurrection. Yeah, he had to go through some pain. And I'm not preaching the gospel that when you decide to give your life to Jesus, everything is going to be roses and petals. That's not going to happen. Listen to me. When you decide to surrender and give everything to Jesus, all hell is going to break loose against you. I just want you to take note of that and say that. And when it does, and say, well, Pastor Jamie told me that was going to happen. Because I don't want you getting mad. Well, Pastor, you never told me I was going to go through this much trouble. Does that make sense? John 10, 18 says that no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. You see, the events of Easter came out of the events in the garden. Easter is such an incredible day, such a big day, right? That only came out of a moment in the garden. And what I want to do today is I want to challenge you to take that moment in the garden today and make a decision to surrender your life completely to Jesus. Maybe some of you just need to say, Lord, have your way with me. I'm tired of running the show. I'm tired of trying to act like I got everything under control. I'm tired of trying to look like I got my stuff together. Would you come in and take control? thing I love about Easter is it reminds me of what Jesus did. It also reminds me of what's been done to me. You know the biggest thing about Easter that I love? Is that it just says to me that Jesus is my friend. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's not judging me. He's not condemning me. He's constantly trying to lift me up constantly trying to restore me, constantly trying to help me. He never puts a foot on you. He always extends a hand and says, let me help you out. Or let me help you take the next step.